Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I wonder if you've ever thought about just how much we are worth. If you wanted to measure the value of a person, I suppose there are a number of ways you could do that. Scientists tell us uh, that 90%, chemically, 90% of what makes us up is water and carbon. And so most of us, mostly, we are about three five-gallon buckets of water and a bag of charcoal. (laughs) So we're worth about $10 if you think about it like that. Well, what if we were to measure our value uh, historically? Uh, we usually think our lives are pretty significant, uh, but on the you know, grand scale of time, they're not. Uh, and I can prove that to you. You all have eight great-grandparents and 16 great-great-grandparents. So that's 24 people. Could you name those 24 people, first and last names? Now, those are the people, you, if anybody remembers them, it should be you, right? They are responsible for you being you. And uh, they, for the oldest people here, uh, didn't pass away more than 35 years ago, uh, the, the youngest of the great-great-grandparents, yet... Uh, 95% of you can't name even half of those people. Most of us can't name hardly any of them. From a historical perspective, it just doesn't seem like we're worth very much. Uh, Somebody might say, well, Pastor, you just are missing the sophistication of what it means to be a person. We are strong and smart and we know how to survive. Well, uh, maybe, but think about it like this. You're dumber than a $10 calculator. Uh, You're weaker than a uh, yard tractor. You break down more often than a 20-year-old Yugo. Uh, You're more fragile than an iPhone. You are not waterproof. You require constant feeding. And you only function well in a very narrow temperature range. Uh, We we, we are not as valuable as we think we are. And and even if you compare us to, uh, to animals, I was reading this last week that Uh, When a mother giraffe gives birth to uh, her baby, the first thing that happens, uh, because that birthing is done standing up, is that the giraffe falls six feet and lands on his head. But still, within an hour, he's up and walking. Now, you think about your kids. First of all, it took a team of medical professionals to bring your child into the world. It took a state-of-the-art birthing suite And then when your child learned to walk about 10 months later and took that first step, you celebrated it like your child was the smartest creature ever to live. And you weren't even thinking about the fact that it took your precious baby 8,000 times longer to learn to take that first step than it did a giraffe dropped on his head when he was born. So what makes us special? Well, let's turn to the Bible for the answer because this is, this is an important subject. Uh, it, it's important because it's interesting, but it's important because it, it encourages us and it challenges us. Why are we important? Why do we have value? Genesis chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 26, 
says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, let's, let's go back through this and see if we just notice some things that are peculiar, some things that catch our attention. First of all, God's creation of man is a very personal creation. If you were to read this entire chapter, you would see that when God creates the other components of the universe, he does so in a very impersonal way. Verse 6 says, let there be an expanse between the waters. Uh, verse 14 says, let there be lights. Verse uh, 20 says, let the warm uh, the water swarm with living creatures. Uh, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, verse 24. So when God created other things, he did so in an impersonal way. He said, let there be. But when God created man, when God created people, he says, let us make them in our image. Do you see that there's a personal involvement there that just doesn't exist with the other components of creation? Another thing you notice here is that while there certainly was gender in much of the rest of creation, there were boy cows and girl cows and boy birds and girl birds, that's never mentioned. But when God creates man, he says specifically in verse 27 that I have created them male and female. Listen to that. In this world that we live in, God has created us male and female, not any other genders, not halfway in between, male and female. And God points that out when he creates mankind. And so there's something special about that. But I also want you to see that the key difference between man and human is that we are created in the image of God. He says that four different ways here. In these two verses, he says that we're created in his image. We're created after his likeness. We're created in his own image, it says. And then we're created in the image of God. He says, let there be no confusion. Mankind is created in the image of God. Now, when we know that, now we need to understand two things. What does it mean? What is exactly does it mean that I'm in the image of God? And then what do I need to do about it? So it's a simple message this morning. What does it mean specifically that I've been created in his image? And then how should I respond to that? So first of all, what does it mean to be created in his image? The, the easiest way, the simplest way to understand this is to think about how a child is in the image of his parents. And so the Bible even uses this, uh, uh, this terminology. If you turn over a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 5, you see... God explain it in those terms. It says, this is the document containing the family records of Adam, this verse one. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So man, man and woman made in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind. So he reiterates this truth, we're created in the image of God, the likeness of God. But then look at verse three. Adam was 130 years old when, his, when he fathered a son in his likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. 
So it says that Seth, the son of Adam, Seth was in Adam's image. And it uses the same word for image as we see here in the first couple of verses of chapter 5 when it says we are created in the image and the likeness of God. So whatever this means, we, we can learn something by looking at how a child is in the image of his parents. Now what does it mean when we say that child looks like or acts like his dad? Well, we mean that in, in appearance, there could be some similarities. We mean that in mannerisms, there could be some similarities. We mean that maybe they have the same passions or they have the same abilities or the same intelligence or the same sense of humor or the same shortcomings. We just, we, we mean that there's some likeness between the two and we could mean a lot of different things. When we say that a child is just like his dad or just like his mom, well, there are a lot of different things we can mean by that. And so when the Bible says that we were created in the image of God, that means many things. And scholars, uh, this is a complicated issue if you want to really dig deep. They have a lot of different categories that they use to talk about all the different things that that can mean. But let me just share with you a sample set of things that we know are true because we've been made in the image of God. Just five things, five things that make us in the image of God. There are more than these, and we could spend more time on each of these, but let me quickly share five things. First of all, authority. Scripture says that mankind is to have authority over the rest of creation. We saw that back in chapter one, verse 26, that we're to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock. So notice this, God has authority over the whole universe, and we as the image bearers, we too have been given authority. We are the true king of the jungle, right? We're the ones who tame animals. We're the ones who control uh, much of the earth. We have an authority that is given to us by God, and that says something about what it means to have the image of God in us. I, like God, am a person of authority. You are the king of the, king of the jungle. You have some authority. Now, I think that authority was probably more perfect in, uh, in, in the times before the first sin came into the world, before Adam and Eve sinned, and the world began to run off the rails a little bit. Uh, there, there seemed to be some evidences of that when you read the first few chapters of Genesis that Adam and Eve had some uh, ability to just boss animals around that we don't have today. You see this even in the New Testament. Jesus, for instance, is said to have ridden a donkey that had never been ridden before. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not a rancher or farmer, uh, but I've heard ranchers and farmers talk about riding an animal for the first time, and that's a very difficult thing. You don't just hop on an animal and ride through the city like Jesus did, but he seemed to have some authority over that animal. And uh, perhaps there was a time when mankind had more authority over the animals, but in one way, to be made in the image of God means that we are people of authority. Another thing is morality. We know right from wrong. Now we know it from God's word and from learning and studying God's word, but even apart from God's word, people know right from wrong. You take people who have never been exposed to God's word and you listen to how they talk, you'll see quickly that they allude to some principle of right and wrong that's just written on their hearts. In fact, you see two uh, pagan people that don't know the Lord and don't know his word. If you see those people arguing, how do they argue? 
You've not been fair to me. You mistreated me. That belonged to me, not to you. Why did, that, why did you take that from me? You've been selfish. You haven't uh, been loyal to me. You, you see, even pagan people, when they argue, they expose the fact that there is this standard of right and wrong that's just built into our hearts. Bible says as much in Romans chapter 2 verse 15 when it says specifically that the law of God is written on the hearts of man and that's one of the ways that we are made in the image of God. Now animals can do destructive things and they can do helpful things but they do so out of instinct. It's, it, it's not that an, that an animal in the wild that hunts and kills its prey is somehow evil uh, but an animal that lives in your house and eats out of a dog bowl is somehow good and righteous. No, th- this, is just, this is just an instinct within them. They don't have a standard of right and wrong, but we do. We are made in the image of God. We know right, we know wrong. God has a standard and that standard has been imprinted on our hearts. We're made in the image of God. Another way we're made in the image of God is our intellect. Now, animals are intelligent on some level, but their intelligence, our intelligence is very different. It's not just that we are more intelligent than the animals, but our intelligence is of a different category. We are different. Our intelligence is very different than the intelligence of animals. Now, some people today in our, in our culture are suggesting that animals may in fact be as smart as people. And I read that this last week in the Huffington Post uh, where uh, this, uh, this journalist quoted uh, these scientists uh, who are making that assertion that if we could just really understand the animals, we would learn that they are as smart as people. And, and then it gave some examples. Uh, it, uh, it, it mentioned uh, bees making these beehives and all the intricacies of the beehive. And it is amazing. You study beehives, and I, I'm not an expert on that, but my understanding is that it is such an elaborate construction, and they all work together to build this hive. It's just amazing. And so these scientists pointed to that as evidence of the intelligence of, of animals. They also talked about the migration of birds. And birds, it is amazing that they can go from one place and one part of the world to another place, hundreds and hundreds of miles away and get right back to the same place. They don't have a, you know, a telephone with GPS. It's amazing that they can do that. And then it talked about beavers building dams. And that's something I, I guess I knew very, very little about before I read the article, but beavers can build dams with tunnels that'll go from one little room to another room. It's just amazing some of the things. And so these These scientists use those examples to say that animals are just as smart as people. But there's a problem with that. Uh, It is true that animals can do some amazing things, but the things that animals do, different from people, those things are out of instinct or sometimes human training. For instance, a bee building a hive is amazing, but bees hadn't built anything else. I mean, it's not like they built hives for a number of years and then they took that engineering expertise and now they're building something else and they've moved on and they're they're building uh, skyscrapers or something. No, bees build hives and they're amazing, but they've been building hives since the beginning and the hives hadn't gotten any fancier through the years. It's just instinct. If you think about the beavers building the dams, they do build some amazing dams, but they were building the same dams a thousand years ago. 
And in 1,000 years, the dams hadn't improved any at all. In fact, the article, the scientists uh, thought they were clever and they talked about the, the, the beavers and their dams and they used this as a way to just prove, to, to end the debate that, that beavers are smarter than people. And they said that the first structure that wasn't natural, something that had been built by an animal of some sort, the first structure, now you listen to their argument, see if you see, if you see what, that they actually are making an opposite point from the one they thought they were making. They said the very first structure that, that was built that was large enough to be seen from space is, was built by beavers in South America. There's some beaver dam that is so big you can see it from space. And they built that before people built anything that could be seen from space. And so that proves beavers are smarter than people. But maybe not smarter than those scientists. Why? Because no beaver has ever gone to space to look at it, right? I mean, maybe they built something or, or maybe it was an accident and a bunch of logs got caught up in a, in a flow of water and it made a really big mess. I don't know. But we're the only people who've been to space to look at it and see it. Uh, it is not true that animals are smarter than us. Their intelligence, while uh, sometimes they do amazing things, is an instinctive thing. It doesn't improve. They don't pass it on from generation to generation. It's not advancing. We have intelligence because we're created in the image of God, something that is very different. We're creative people. We, we add to our knowledge. We pass on knowledge. We develop knowledge. And we see in that stamp of the image of God. Another way that we are creating the image of God is that we are eternal. Uh, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity in our hearts. Now, this will generate uh, a letter or two perhaps, but as far as I know, your dog is not eternal. Now, if you just think about it logically, if your dog is eternal, then what about the cow you ate yesterday and the mosquito you squatted, a month, uh, squatted away a month ago? I don't know if we want all of our animals to be eternal, but the Bible nowhere says that an animal is eternal. And we need to be careful, while it's proper for us to love and adore our pets, that we don't diminish what it means to be created in the image of God by assigning that to them. No, only we have been created in the image of God. Only people are eternal. God has made you and you will live forever somewhere. You are eternal and every person is eternal. And that's one of the, one of the ways we're creating the image of God. God will live forever. You will live forever. Sometimes we... We love animals so much and we're fascinated by animals and that's the proper thing to do. There will be animals in heaven, by the way. Just don't know if it'll be your, your puppy dog that makes it. But, uh, but, but sometimes we cherish these animals so much that, that we, we lose this distinction of what has true value and what does not. We have value not because we're cute and can fetch a bone, but we have value because we're created in the image of God. So do you remember in 2016 when the Cincinnati Zoo shot uh, that gorilla? Do you remember that story? Interestingly enough, the gorilla is from here, some, somewhere close by here in Texas. I don't know if you knew that or not. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, but looking up the details this week, it was a Texan uh, gorilla. Uh, but I lived near that uh, 
when it happened. And so I don't know if it was the, the buzz around here, but it was really the buzz in Ohio. Should the zoo have shot the gorilla? Now, if you don't remember the story, there was a little three-year-old boy, I think it was a boy, who had climbed in the enclosure with the gorilla, and the gorilla had, gorilla had captured the boy. And so they noticed that, and so they had, I guess, security people there who were sharpshooters, and they, and they shot the gorilla. So here was the debate. So many people were saying they should never have shot the gorilla. Uh, because the boy shouldn't have gotten into the enclosure. That boy should have stayed on the sidewalk. Some people said, well, his parents should have been watching him more closely. Some people said the zoo should have had a better enclosure so that three-year-old boys couldn't climb into where the gorillas live. Now, I agree. All of those three things are, are true, but it doesn't change the fact that when it comes right down to it, no matter how rare, no matter how... Uh, 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 financially valuable, no matter how cute the gorilla is, the value of the boy, because he is created in the image of God, makes him infinitely more valuable than the gorilla. Of course they did the right thing. Should there be changes with the parents and changes with three-year-old boys and changes with the zoo? I'm sure there should be. But the gorilla value did not compare to the value of the boy because the boy was created in the image of God. What makes us valuable? Not that we're cute, not that, we're, that people like us, not, that, not that, the, the, that we have money or money was spent on us, none of those things. If, if those things were true, then the gorilla would have had the greater value. We, we have value because we're created in the image of God. Now, next, uh, spirituality, just briefly. We are created in the image of God, and one of the things that means is that we're spiritual. We have a knowledge of God. Uh, we have a capacity for worship and a desire to be right with God. One of the, one of the common things that, that you find true of any person anywhere is there is this desire to somehow be right with God. You, you go out into the most remote tribes in the jungle, people who have never heard the name Jesus, and you'll find that those people have created a religion. They've created rules and laws and, and, and worship rites that somehow they might uh, attain a, a right relationship with God. That's just something that is built into every person, and that's part of what it means. <clears throat> to be created in the image of God. So this is a wonderful thing. I am valuable because I've created in the image of God and, and, and I'm, I look like God in, in probably dozens of ways, not, not physically, but, but because I, I'm eternal and because I'm intelligent and because I, uh, all these other things that we've talked about. And because of those things, that's why we have value. Now, with, with that, understanding that, what should we do? Well, three things quickly. First of all, we should praise the Lord for the image of God that is in us. I love Psalm 139. I will praise you, Lord, because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. We ought to come to church every week, and really we ought to wake up every day with a heart of praise because we've been created in the image of God. Now, in our culture, it's easy to get down on ourselves. It's easy to have a negative self-image, to have no self-worth, to feel the sting of rejection and criticism, to feel inferior and put down and ignored. People may say things that 
hurt our feelings. People may reject us in ways that just cut us to the core. But our value is not determined by any of that. I am valuable because I'm created in the image of God. God has put his stamp on me, and that's what makes me valuable. And if I'm successful or I am a failure, if, if I am liked or if I am rejected, if I am rich or if I am poor, none of those things change my value because my value is dependent upon the fact I have been stamped with the image of God. I've shared this illustration with you before, I'm pretty sure, but... Uh, my first church I pastored, we had an elderly lady that, whose husband had died and she had no resources, no money. She was living in a house that was not hers. Uh, she and her husband, and uh, so she was not going to have the house anymore. I don't remember the reasoning, but now that her husband had died and she didn't know what to do. She didn't have any family. She didn't have any children or grandchildren and nobody there to really take care of her. And I remember we, we were going through her house. She had all of this stuff she had to put somewhere. She had lived in this house all of her life and it was filled with stuff, uh, junk, uh, if you will, uh, of, a, of a whole lifetime of living. And, and she was uh, discouraged. We we're going to have to throw all this stuff away and all this junk. So she, one of the things that she had just throughout the house, literally hundreds and hundreds of these little cheap looking ceramic painted figurines. I mean, like little chickens and little ashtrays and little, I don't know, all kind of things. Just on every horizontal surface in the house, uh, every window sill was just covered in these things. And so I don't remember how we discovered this, uh, the value of these things. Uh, somebody must have been there that knew more about it than I did, but... You know, all I was thinking is, you know, how are we going to throw all this stuff away? But somebody picked one up and looked at the bottom, and it was stamped. Some of you will know what this means. It was stamped, Occupied Japan. You ever heard of that? And consequently, this stuff that I thought was worthless, and that it was just going to be a pain to have to get rid of all of this stuff, turned out to be so valuable, she was able to sell it and have enough money to live for the rest of her life. Now, those little figurines were not valuable because they were pretty. They weren't. It was, it was any kind of stuff you could find at a junk store anywhere. I mean, they were, they were not well painted. There was nothing artistic about them. The issue, it was just junk. But they were valuable because of that imprint. Now, some days you may feel like junk. The world may reject you. You may feel like you don't measure up to other people. You, you may not be the success that you want to be or that you thought that you would be. And you may feel like junk. But listen, your value comes from whether or not you're stamped with the image of God. And if you're a person and you're living and breathing, you are stamped with the image of God. We need to praise the Lord that he is made us so valuable, that he has put his image in us. You know, sometimes I wonder, why did Jesus die for me? You ever think about that? When I think about the sin in my life, and I think about the rebellion, the sinful rebellion in my life, even since I've come to know Christ as my Savior, you know, the Lord knew all of that. He knew everything I was ever going to do, everything I was ever going to think, every time I was going to lose my temper, every time I was going to say something I, 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 I shouldn't say, every time I would break a promise. He knew all of those things. Why in the world did Jesus die to, to pay the penalty for sins for somebody like me? I mean, of all the people that Jesus might have been interested in saving in this world, 
Why in the world would he save me? But I'll tell you why. Because I'm created in the image of God. Not because I'm good at keeping the rules or very good at keeping promises or that I've lived a straight and narrow life, but he saved me because I'm created in the image of God. I want us to recognize just how valuable we are to God and how much God loves us because of that. And you can have a right relationship with God, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but because God sees you as infinitely valuable. He has made you eternal and he has put his stamp on you. And because you're so valuable, he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. That's what he was doing on the cross. So that if you'll put your trust in him, if you'll surrender to him, Bible says that he will forgive you and save you and, and forgive your sins all the way to the end. Why would he do that? Because you're created in the image of God. This is such an important truth. We're created in the image of God. Now, the second thing we should do, not only praise the Lord for this, or respond to the Lord and accept Christ, but secondly, we should value all life that is created in the image of God. You know, too often we, we determine the value of life by looking at how beautiful it is, how wealthy it is, how talented a person is, how successful, how healthy a person is. But no, we are not valuable because of any of those things. We have value because we're created in the image of God. Now, let me show this to you from an unusual verse. Matthew 25, 40, Jesus said, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Now, what is Jesus talking about? He says, if I do something for the least, maybe it's a poor person, maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a criminal, maybe it's somebody the world has rejected, maybe it's somebody that uh, it's difficult to show kindness to for some reason. But if I do something for, for some of the least people in the world, the lowest people as the world measures them, if I do something for them, the Lord said, Jesus said, I'm doing it for him. Now, why is that? That doesn't make logical sense. Well, it's, it's true because of this. Because when we do something for somebody that has no value by the world's measurements, and we show them kindness, we bless those people, then what we're doing is we are honoring the image of God in them. I'm not doing this for somebody because they're important. I'm not doing this for somebody because they're, they're valuable. I'm not doing this because they're, they're, they're successful or they're popular. When, when you do it for somebody who is, who is the least, then it is clear you're doing it for one reason, because that person is made in the image of God. And that's all that matters. And, and so if we're going to respond to this truth that we're made in the image of God, we need to learn to value all life. We need to recognize and honor the image of God in every person, no matter how much that image has been marred by sin or illness or weakness or age or any other kind of disability. If they're made in the image of God, and they are, then that makes them valuable. Now, let me talk about this from a practical point of view, because it's easy to agree with that and not do it. So let me give you some categories. First of all, we ought to care for poor people. Now, I, I know what people say when we think about poor people. You hear people say, but they wouldn't be poor 
if they would have made some different decisions in life. They wouldn't be poor if they were more responsible. They wouldn't be poor if, well, and maybe that's true. And, and, and it is in some cases, and it's not in some cases. But listen, that misses the point. They're, they're not valuable because they've lived a responsible life. They're not valuable because they have money. They're valuable because they've been created in the image of God. And we need to show kindness and love to people who are poor because they, like everybody else, been created in the image of God, created in the image of God. The second practical standpoint is that we need to hate racism and discrimination. Anytime we judge somebody and we judge their value and their worth by anything other than the fact that they've been created in the image of God, then we sin. Racism and discrimination must not do that. Why? Because every person created in the image of God. Next, we need to love the unborn. The Bible makes it clear that even people in the womb are created in the image of God. And we can spend some time on that, and we're going to spend some more time on this this next week, but we have to mention it here. Uh, one of the very first people to recognize uh, that Jesus had come to earth, he wasn't born yet, but that he had come to earth, he was still uh, in the womb, and he was recognized by who? By John, who was also in the womb. There's so many ways the Bible tells us that even babies in the womb are real people created in the image of God, and because of that, they're valuable. They're not valuable because somebody wants them. That's what the world wants to say, that if the child is wanted, he's valuable. No, you're not valuable because somebody wants you. You're valuable because God has created you and put his stamp on you. People will say, well, you're valuable if you're developed. You know, if you're born or if you're viable or if you don't have some disability, then you're valuable. No, no, we're not valuable because we're developed. We're valuable because we've been created in the image of God. Sometimes people will say, well, a person is valuable if they have the potential to live a good life. A good life is just some cultural definition of what, what people think life ought to look like. And so if a child is handicapped or disabled in some way or has some challenges, then that child is not valuable. No, you're not valuable because of your potential for career success. You're valuable because you're created in the image of God. We have to understand, we have to, we, we have to reject the measurements of value that come from the world and recognize that it is only because we're creating the image of God. And that settles it. All of these other questions about, well, what about this person? And what about this person? And what about this situation? What about that situation? Well, if situations determine our value, then maybe all of those would be valid questions. But if our value is determined by the image of God, then none of those other things matter. None of those, well, the amnio test was this, and, and well, the, uh, the, the conception was this, and, and, and the parents' uh, financial situation is this, and, 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 and they're too young, or they're too old, or this, or that. No, if, if, we're, if we're valuable because we're creating the image of God, then that's the only thing that matters. We need to care for distressed children. It breaks the heart of God to see so many uh, bearing the image of God, yet being uncared for. James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this. This is it. This is what it means to be 
to have pure religion undefiled before God, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, James said, if you just want to boil it down, how do you live out the Christian life? You care for people who can't care for themselves and you, and you live in a way that will honor God. And part of that, part of caring for people that can't care for themselves, caring for distressed children, caring for the unborn, making sure we're using our resources, making sure we use our vote, making sure we use our influence to care for those who've been created in the image of God. So how do we care? Well, we, we can care first of all by being a blessing to a young mother. Uh, this is something I think we skip over too often. Titus 2, and I referred to this last week, says this, in the same way older women are to encourage young women to love their husbands and love their children. So the family's falling apart in our world. And, and us old folks, we talked about this last week, we complain, we lament about the younger folks and their families falling apart. But listen, ladies, the Bible says specifically that you have a role to teach younger women to get in their lives, to partner with them, to, to disciple them, to encourage them that, that they will uh, be able to raise those children in the in, in, in a godly way. We, we need to be helping these distressed children by being a blessing to young moms. Uh, next week, we could be foster parents. There are so many children today that are in uh, hopeless situations because of the actions of their parents. And they're in the foster care program here in America. And, 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 and it's amazing if you just, if you just take a, a look at this, almost any of us could just apply for that and we could be a blessing to some of those kids. We could change their family tree. We could bring them to church. We could pray uh, at the meals with them. We could share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many children right here in Nacogdoches that ought to be here because our church loves children. And we don't just... We don't just preach sermons and say abortion is wrong. Certainly we need to do that. But we go out and show that we really do love little children because they're created in the image of God. You know, I don't know specifically the statistics here. I should look them up. Uh, but I have looked them up in other places I've been, and I'm sure the case would be the same here. Our church, if we decided that we wanted to take care of children who did not have stable home lives, our church could probably foster every single kid in our community. Uh, we, we have enough people here. We could, we could get every single foster care child in our community and minister to them uh, if we just really value people because they're creating the image of God. We need to support uh, adoption. Uh, we, we need, and especially younger families, we need to look for opportunities. There are so many children in this world, here in America, overseas, that desperately need parents. And those children were created in the image of God. We, we need to show that we believe that. That's not just something that we put on a shirt. That's not just something we put on a flag. That's gotta be something that we do. And if you adopt a child, you rescue that child from a, oftentimes from a life of poverty and from ungodliness. You, you get a chance to introduce that child to Jesus Christ. You get a chance, as I said a moment ago, to change a child's family tree. You get to love like the father loved you. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.5 that, that the father adopted me. And it says more than that, that it pleased the father to adopt me. 
And as, as his children, if we really believe that people are created in the image of God and that makes them valuable, it ought to please us. Now, I know because I've struggled with this, uh, there are a couple of objections that, that we think of. First of all, we think, well, my home's not perfect. My marriage is not perfect. We don't have the perfect situation. Well, and guess what? You don't, and I don't, and none of us do. But our home life and our marriage and our situation, a whole lot better is a whole lot better than the situation that these children are growing up in. Uh, God's not looking for people with a perfect home. God's looking for people who are willing. You know, sometimes people say, I don't have enough money uh, to adopt. And I will have people in our church this morning, I'm sure. And you'll feel convicted that, hey, maybe me and my husband, me and my wife, we need to talk about uh, taking in some children that, that otherwise, because they're valuable to God, otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear the gospel. They wouldn't be loved and taken care of. But we just, Pastor, we just don't have enough money. Well, there are ways to adopt that are expensive and there are ways that, to adopt that are cheap. Uh, so, so there are more options that probably than people think. But listen, if you want to get started in adoption and you don't have the money, you just come see your pastor. I've mentioned this a time or two before, and some people in our church have come to me and said, now they're not going to give you $100,000, but there have been people who have come to me in our church and said, Pastor, I can't adopt because I'm 70 years old, but I could sure partner with somebody who would like to adopt. And so, you know, I, no guarantee, and I, you know, I would just introduce you to somebody and I'd get out of the loop, uh, but don't let that be an excuse. If God's put it on your heart to adopt, uh, you can do it, and you come see me, and I can introduce you to people who, who, who can help you do that. So it, what, what should we do? We, we should praise the Lord. Don't get down on yourselves. Negative self-image, you're valuable. You've been created in the image of God. Praise the Lord. Value all life uh, because it's been created in the image of God. And then finally, we need to conform to the image of God. Uh, if we three ways to look at this image of God concept. We, we look back, I've been created, that's my history, I've been created in the image of God, that stamp, that likeness is a part of me and it always will. I can look forward, the Bible says that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. One day I will be glorified and in character, the, I'll be like the image of God. The character of Christ will be formed in me. But now in the in-between time, it is, and we've been talking about this for six weeks, I won't re-preach those sermons, but it is up to us in partnership with the Holy Spirit for the image of God to, to be fleshed out in our lives. Let me just read to you a couple of verses that just make this clear, and I won't spend a lot of time commenting on this, but in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, now put away all the following, anger and wrath and malice, slander and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So he says, let's be serious about, about our sin, about our character. You are being renewed, he says, in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. God has made us in, our, in his image. We ought to demonstrate that. Remember, it's been a few years. I was uh, in a Walmart, not here in Nacogdoches, but somewhere I don't recall where. I was in a Walmart. It was late at night, and they were restocking the shelves. And there was a manager uh, who was just chewing out one of the employees who, 
apparently had been setting up the product in, in, on some shelves. And the manager was, he, he had a picture of what that product placement was supposed to look like. I guess this came down from corporate. It needs to look like this. And he was pointing out all of the ways that that, that employee, that stock boy, whoever it was, all the ways what he did didn't match the image. I mean, he was laying into him. This should be there and that should be over here. Look at this picture. Look at this picture. It was really embarrassing to watch. But I thought about that. You know, God has given us a picture, right? And that picture is Jesus Christ. I've been stamped with the image of God when I was made. I will one day be glorified and the character of Christ will be formed in me. In the meantime, I have the same job that stock boy had. I've got the picture of what it ought to look like, the character of God. And in partnership with the Holy Spirit, that's what I should strive to do for his glory and for his honor. Now let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Two quick challenges. Number one, let him adopt you. If you're not a child of God, it would please the Father to adopt you. He's all, he already loves you, you're already valuable. The image of God is stamped in your life. If you'll surrender to him, he will apply the forgiveness that comes from the sacrifice of Christ and he will make you right with him forever and ever. Would you trust Christ? And then secondly, would you let him mold you? That not only would it be true that you're stamped with the image of God, but that you live out and display the image of God in every, every way you live. Father in heaven, thank you that the image of God is stamped in me and that's why I'm valuable. Not success, failure, money, criticism, somebody accepts or rejects. I, I am valuable because I'm in the image of God. Help me see that same image in the lives of all those around me. Those that may be poor, those that may be the least, those that may yet be born, those that may be struggling in foster care or abandoned or impoverished on the other side of the world. Let me see those people as infinitely valuable to you because they're created in the image of God. And let me honor you by honoring the image in them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing and respond to the Lord.